Jordan Syatt trained Gary Vaynerchuk, who is quite well known in the business community and online space through social media. He trained him for three years. That was a life-changing experience for him. Now, we talked about Gary Vaynerchuk, but we also talked about Jordan's mom. We talked about uh, Harry Potter. We talked about coffee. We talked about uh, life when he was 10 years old. We talked about it all. Before I go even further... I want to preface this episode by giving you some uh, behind-the-scenes intel. So we got the whole thing recorded. I finished, I checked it out, listened to it, and all of a sudden I realized that my, my voice sounded like weirdly lower than it was supposed to sound. So when I was editing the podcast, I had to go through for every time that I talked, I had to highlight that piece and increase the pitch by 6%. So if it sounds a little bit off... That's technology for you. Like, I, I shot my shot, and, you know, it, it was off by a little bit. But it was a great conversation, and Jordan's audio came out quite nice, and that's what counts. You get to hear me talk all the time, but it's not every day that you're going to hear Jordan Syatt on the Lifestyle Chase. So I hope you enjoy. I hope you share this on social media. Every share helps me a lot in the growth of the podcast. And uh, give it a rating on iTunes if you get a chance. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase, Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at yegfitness. Welcome to episode 70 of the Lifestyle Chase. I'm joined by a very well-known Jordan Syatt. So how are you doing today? I'm well, man. How are you? I'm good. Um, what is the funniest thing that's happened to you so far today? The funniest thing today? Um... Rico, what's the funniest thing that's happened today? Uh, basically, we're, we're filming the Big Mac Challenge video. We did a couple of takes where I was trying to catch Big Mac, and Rico is out of the shot trying to drop it into my hand. So I uh, had a couple of funny takes of that. Nothing. It hasn't been too comical of a day, but it's been a productive day, so that's good. That's awesome. Um, when it comes to Harry Potter, what's your favorite book in the series? Prisoner of Azkaban. And what makes that your favorite? You know, that's the thing I've, I've wondered a lot, and I think the one recurring theme with that one is it's the only book that Voldemort wasn't directly in. He wasn't directly within that one, and and I think that without having Voldemort directly within a book and still making it so captivating and so having it be such a pivotal book as well within the entire series was probably my favorite, especially from the skill set of her writing and, and just the connectivity of all seven books. So I find that J.K. Rowling actually is like pretty wise in how she like puts out a message to uh, to the readers. What are your three biggest takeaways from the Harry Potter series as far as just like life advice? Oh man, three biggest takeaways out of the top of my head. Let's see. I would say um, don't ever underestimate your imagination is probably number one. Um, I would say number two is just because just because 
you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't actually exist. And then number three is magic lies within all of us. It just depends how much you're willing to use it. I like it. And I'm going to have a different spin for most of the interviews you've done just because I want to be a little bit different for most of the interviews you've done. So on that stance, when it comes to like envisioning something that you don't see yet, what's something in your career that you are proud of that you believe that you've done that wasn't there before, if that made sense? So, so say it one more time just so I can clarify okay. it a little bit. So, um... When when somebody's coming up with, with an idea, a lot of the time they'll base it off of somebody's idea that's already happened before. And one of the more intimidating innovations to do is to do an idea that you have never seen anywhere before. And it, it's intimidating because of the chance of failure. And what's something that you've introduced? Like it might be a small thing, big thing, whatever thing is, is new and unique to you. I would say... You know, one thing I've found throughout the years is a very common theme among coaches is like that you, nothing new is going to come out. Let's say nothing new, like not, you're never going to reinvent anything. It's just like, and I actually very much disagree with that. I think that like you can always create something new and always do something different. Um, I think that it's not necessarily about changing the science or the principles, but about changing how you present it and how you can help teach people in new ways. And I think that's what I've done that stands out most among people in the fitness industry is I've been able to take a lot of principles and concepts and theories and strategies and break them down and present them in ways that no one's ever done before. Um, I mean, I didn't invent the calorie. I didn't invent the calorie deficit. I didn't invent flexible dieting. I didn't invent any of that. But I think I've been able to present it in a way that anybody can understand it and not be overwhelmed by it. I like that. I was listening to an episode that you guessed on, it was probably a couple years ago, but you talked about uh, your first client ever and how that kind of changed things, how you kind of almost felt like a wizard in, in how you were like changing them being able to like do stuff with their grandkids and stuff like that. Um, what's like a, a flashbulb? And by flashbulb moment, that's like a moment that sort of sticks with you forever and you, you never forget... Uh, how you felt or what was happening. What's a flashbulb moment for you in your career? A flashbulb moment in my career. One that's like changed my life as a coach, you think? As a, yeah, or, or just what, as a what, human. Way? Something that, that sticks with you. And it could be like years ago, but for some reason, like you always reflect on it. No matter how much success you've seen, it's just you always go back to that. Yeah, I think one of my favorite ones is I had a client when I was uh, training in person back in Boston, and I had started the nutrition program at the gym that I was working at. And um, she came in and, and she sits down to have a one on one consult, the first one. And basically, the first thing she said to me, she's like, she's like, this isn't going to work. Like, right, like, right off the bat, like without like really ever getting into anything, she's like, this isn't going to work. It's not going to work for me. She was like, I've tried everything. Nothing works. And I was like, okay. And then it was, it was like a little bit taken aback, but I had also just really started to get into motivational interviewing and understanding client psychology and, and, and change speak and how to speak with individuals and how to get them uh, to talk about it. And, and basically one of the reasons that she gave right off the bat was she was like, I won't eat vegetables. Like I won't do it. 
I hate vegetables. I'm not going to eat vegetables. And I remember being like, okay, well, you don't have to eat vegetables. And she was taken aback. Like she was like, what do you mean I don't have to eat vegetables? Because she wanted to lose weight. She was she was very, very overweight. She wanted to lose weight. And I was like, if you don't want to eat vegetables, you don't have to eat vegetables. And right at that point, the entire conversation turned because up until she met me, every time she said that to a coach, they were like, well, listen, if you want to fucking do this, you're going to eat your fucking vegetables. And when I was like, well, listen, you, you can do it. Like you might be hungrier, but you can do it. And all of a sudden, like after that, she got into being like, well, you know, you know, I, I don't hate vegetables, just it's harder for me to eat them because of X, Y, and Z until finally she ended up speaking herself into a way of how she's going to incorporate more vegetables into her diet. And she lost 70 pounds and she's maintained it ever since. And that was in 2014. So it was a, it was a big moment for me in terms of how most coaches approach it versus how we should be approaching it. I like it. And it's just like the, the art of communication because there's so, so many things that are changing with the fitness industry. There's apps and all this stuff, but it's still integral and important to be a, a human and get on people's level um as an experienced professional as you are like what is your three best pieces of advice for communicating and this can be like with like family friends clients business personal anything i would say this one sounds cliche but you know it's actually it's very true you need to you need to listen more than you speak I think the best communicator and really the communicator that leads the conversation is the one that listens the most. I think a lot of times the people think that the one who's speaking the most and the one that's like actually making more noise is the one that's leading the conversation, but it's not the one who listens the most is the one that's going to be able to lead it best. Uh, I would say one of my favorite quotes is the best teachers don't tell people what, the, what to, what to see. They show people where to look. Uh, it's, I think probably one of the most important concepts I've learned as a, as a teacher and a coach is, not telling people what they should be seeing or not telling people what to think, but just showing them what direction to look in so they can find it for themselves. Um, and the other one would be, let's see. I would say allow people, give people the opportunity to live up to their own highest standards. When you can frame thing in, things in a way that allows someone to live up to their own highest expectations, then they can do something in which they're proud of themselves, in which they, that they know it's right, the right thing to do because they feel it and because that's what they actually believe in, rather than necessarily trying to do things to, to prove someone else wrong or to maybe even to prove themselves wrong, but to do things because they know it's the right thing to do. So I was doing a little bit of uh, Googling because I was curious about uh, your coffee brand. Is Do you still have coffee brand? Like what happened to that? Like your unicorn magic coffee? Yeah. So I actually, I ended up giving that up, uh, which is still, it's, I, I can bring it back, but I put it on the back burner. Uh, my business part of, partner, Golan, who I was working with on it, I let him sort of take uh, take control of it because I wanted to really focus on fitness and my inner circle specifically that's really my main focus and it was taking up so much of my time and energy that i was like i can't give as much as i want to to my inner circle so i gave that up totally and like that uh, that's something a lot of people are going to come across like we can do a whole bunch of really cool things but like we have to kind of take a step back and, and look at what we're doing and sort of uh put priority to the things that are going to make us the most happy and I thought exactly. it was really cool yeah. seeing like your experience with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Like, obviously, a lot of people are going to know you for that. But like, that was that was hard on you. What was what was the biggest obstacle to 
being all in on something like that for you? I mean, there were a lot, but I would say when I started with Gary, I basically decided that, you know, I had, I had just finished being a competitive power lifter. I deadlifted four times my body weight. I, I was competing all my life, whether it was wrestling or powerlifting or whatever. And when I was started with Gary, it was my first time where I was traveling all the time. Like I was in airplanes and hotels more than my own apartment for the better part of three years. Um, and I decided that I was going to go all in on Gary, but also on my own business rather than my own personal fitness. And it was the first time in my life for my whole life that I really put fitness on the back burner for me so that I could give more to whether it was social media, to my clients, anything. And so um, my own personal fitness took a really big hit, but it was also overwhelmingly worth it. And as I've been over the last probably better part of a year now, uh, getting my own fitness back, it's been one of the coolest things for people who follow me to see because they've been able to watch my transformation that they know, like I put my own fitness on the back burner for three years. And then in the last year I've been able to get it back and like change my body. And I've showed them the whole process and walked them through the journey. I even just literally just ate a Big Mac every day for 30 days while still losing fat to show people they can do it. And it was inadvertently one of the greatest mistakes that I made. I I think you probably changed who you were too, because I, I imagine you learned a lot about yourself in that process. Like what what did working with Gary for that long teach you about yourself? A lot, a lot. I would say number one is I wasn't working as hard as I thought I was before I started working with Gary. Uh, and that's one of my favorite stories that I've ever told is where I remember probably about, I think it must have been th- between three to five months after I started working with Gary, we had landed. I forget where we were. I was completely, those three years were a blur, but we had landed. It was like two in the morning. I was walking with D-Rock and Gary and Gary sort of just saddles right up next to me and he goes, how much harder are you working now versus when you, before you started? And it was just like, it wasn't even a comparison. And it's not to say that I wasn't working hard before I started with them. I mean, I had my own business for several years and I was doing very well, but there, there was a difference between working hard and like working as hard as you can. And I can very honestly say that when I was like over those three years, I was very much working as hard as I possibly can on that one thing. It wasn't like four different things or three different things. It was like that one thing was my business and that was really it. So coming back, I, I'm assuming you've done some self-reflection, kind of figured out what, what's important to you and we'll just call those core values, things, things that, that are like uh, pillars in life. Every week, what are four core values that, that you prioritize to have in your day that happen like at least once a week? Uh, I mean, I think literally the, the first thing that I want to make sure that I do, like, and I literally like say this every day when I wake up and before I go to bed, that I just want to help as many people as, as possible. That's it. Like whatever, whatever I'm doing that day, I want to make sure that I'm helping as many people as I can. Like that's it. That's, and I say that not to sound virtuous or not to sound selfless because I'm, I'm, I'm very, very selfish. I think it's human nature to be selfish. But I think that I know I am the happiest I can be when I'm dedicating myself to helping as many people as I can. So that's definitely like number one. Um, number two is, um, let's see, core values. I would say at this point in my life, making sure that I'm getting in my own fitness as well, like making sure that I'm getting, whether it's 
strength training or more recently getting back into jujitsu has been super important to me. Uh, and growing up as a wrestler, it's been really fun to get back on the mats. But also understanding that I won't be able to give as much as myself to other people as I'd want unless I'm focusing on myself too. So really focusing on that. I would add on that for the number three. But And I still struggle with this one, sleep, trying to do better with sleep because uh, I'd say – I'd say when I was with Gary on a scale of one to 10, my sleep was probably around a two and uh, two, like just being like one being the worst it could possibly be. And now I'd say it's probably around like a, between a five and a six. So markedly better, but still can massively improve. Um, and then the last one I would say, um, being, always being optimistic, but never being satisfied. Uh, that whole phrase, like always happy, never satisfied. Not a big fan of the always happy part because it's just not realistic or, or feasible. But I do think it is always op- always realistic to be optimistic in whatever scenario you find yourself in. So doing my best to whatever happens, never, never allowing myself to be paralyzed by overthinking or fear uh, or by pessimism and allow myself to whatever situation I'm in to face it, recognize it, respect it, and then be optimistic about it. Um, in the year 2019, what's the happiest you've ever felt and what was the reason you felt that way? The happiest? Well, uh, to be honest, I'll probably say within the last week or so um, with the Big Mac Challenge. Like it was, uh, I did not realize it was going to be this big. I had no idea. I almost didn't do it. I almost, I remember I had said that I wanted to do it. I mentioned it to Reed go who's my my incredible videographer and and i said yeah you know we'll start in the beginning of september and i think i said that in the middle of august or something before i went on vacation and um and when i came back and it was like september one rico was like all right you ready and i was like oh fuck and i just i didn't realize that it was going to have such a big impact and um it was so 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 cool to see near especially near the end of it near the final seven to ten days how many people were messaging me like thousands literally thousands and still getting them today thousands and thousands and thousands of messages from people being like it's one thing to read about what to do it's another thing to actually see you doing it every day and to see like you proving it and and not just proving it to you but proving it to me and myself so that i'm confident in what i can do because that was the whole point of it. it wasn't to show people that i can do it it was to show them that they can do it too and so i think over the last week seeing the the massive effect that it's had on people has been probably the happiest I've been because that's just like, that's the the greatest proof that you're actually helping people is when people are just going out of their way to send you these, these messages and these DMS and these videos and these voice recordings and like these outrageously long life stories telling you just how like they've finally been able to overcome a lot of these issues. And, uh, and that's why I'm super excited for that. And then also for the final video for it to come out. Cause I think probably to date, it'll be, my most comprehensive, most impactful piece of content yet. So let's do, let's take a time machine and we're going to go back to your 10 year old self. What was life like (laughs) then? Life when I was 10, I was a happy kid. I was a very happy kid. I was a very athletic kid. Um, Very just sort of happy, go lucky, very jokester, prankster kid putting whoopee cushions underneath my, uh, my teacher's seats. I was, uh, I was never diagnosed with ADHD, but I, I would be shocked if I didn't have it, uh, in, including now. Um, and 
I mean, I was very blessed. I was blessed with just a really a wonderful childhood and, and a lot of friends. And uh, I've, I've nothing bad to say about my childhood. It was, it was wonderful. It was great. That's awesome. And a lot of people, they'll, they'll kind of have an idea of what they want to be when they grow up at that time. Do you remember what you thought you were going to do when you got older? I had, I mean, I remember, I remember when I was around that age, cause I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player. Uh, I, I didn't realize that, uh, five foot four people never really make it to the major league baseball. So I, <laughs> I didn't really, uh, understand that, but baseball was my big thing. I, cause I started wrestling when I was eight and I loved it. I was obsessed with it, but I started baseball much earlier. And so baseball, I was still like really, really loving baseball. And I remember, uh, I'll never forget. I remember I asked my mom, I was like, mom can like, cause I, I always had the same myth. And I, I didn't have a lot of money growing up. I didn't like have a, we didn't have a lot of money, but I was like, everyone, all these kids started to get these like super nice baseball mitts. And I always had the same one. It was like, sort of just, like hard plastic piece of shit. And I was like, oh mom, can I get one of those leather ones? And she goes, if you, she goes, when you make it to the majors, I'll get you a new mitt. And I was like, okay, you promise? She was like, I promise. <laughs> I was like, okay. So she got away with that one. But uh, I think like, yeah, I was, I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player, third baseman, and that didn't pan out. By the time I got to high school, I realized I wasn't really big enough to, to make it onto that team. So, and that's really when wrestling kickstarted and went nuts. So a lot of people, a lot of fitness professionals, especially if they have any kind of a presence on podcasts, will uh they'll admit that one of their biggest fans of their podcast is their mom so if you could like outline your five favorite things about your mom what would they be uh i would say number one is she's outrageously intelligent my mom is is scary intelligent she's like she so she she was a lawyer as her profession um and uh without question one of the smartest people i've ever met in my life so she's like unbelievably scary smart like you never really want to debate with her i think it's probably why i'm a good debater because like we always do sort of do that but she always wins um i would say she is outrageously loving and caring especially for my brother and my and myself just like would do literally anything in the world for either of us um she's a she's the best secret keeper i've ever met in my life like if you if she, if you tell her a secret and say please don't tell anybody she will not tell a soul, like at all ever and that like, it doesn't matter if it's just me and my brother or someone else if if you trust her with a secret she will keep it a secret that is a fact. Um, she is. Let's see. She is. You know I think she's probably one of the best balances of logic and emotion I've ever really seen. I think a lot of people are either logic or emotion and they sort of hate on the one that they're not like if you're if you're all logic then you say your emotions don't matter and if you're more emotion based and like you like you're just heartless like you're just all everything has to make sense it's like it's one or the other and she's pretty a good even divide down the middle which i think probably makes for a good lawyer um and then the last one i would say is she is she is loyal to a fault but I would say, like, she, I would say it in a good way, like, she has your back. Like, yeah. she's if she's got your back, and it doesn't matter if, if if you've wronged her in the past. Like, she's very quick to forget and like easy to forgive, and and she'll if she, she she's very loyal, and I, I respect that a lot. So for you, is it logic or emotion? Which which side do you fall under? It definitely depends on the situation. I would say 
when it comes to, I mean, it, it really depends on the situation a lot. When it comes to facts, it's, it's logic. When we're just talking scientific facts, like it has to be logic. Like yeah. you can't. When it comes to behavior, you have to understand emotion more. And, and that's where it's like I'm not just all facts when it comes to fitness. Like when we're talking or logic or like when, when it comes to how to lose fat, calorie deficit, logic, great. But when it comes to how to lose fat behavioral perspective, it's not just that because there's a lot like we can know that all day, but there's a lot of reasons why people aren't doing it. So I'd say I tend to lean more towards logic. I think I, I lean more like I'm, I'm definitely more down the middle, but I lean towards logic. But if you go too far towards the logic side, you completely neglect the behavioral and emotional side. And that's when you can really lose. That makes sense. So uh, another podcast based out of Edmonton is The Fitness Devil. So that's my friends, Dean Guido and Andrew Coates. And I heard them mm -hmm. talking to you about uh, your stand-up comic routine. Like you, you were trying to get back <laughs> into that. That was like a year or two ago. Have you, uh, have you delved into that a little further at all? I've done one stand-up. I've done one open mic stand-up. I have not done more. Uh, I still very much want to. I very, very, very much want to. It's at this point in my life, it's not something that I can dedicate that much time to. It's also not something I'm willing to do to just go up on stage and just like make it up as I go. Um, I sort of, I want to be able to dedicate more time to it. But if we're just looking at priorities in my life, I've added about about probably four to five hours a week of jujitsu into my life right now, which I would rather do that than take that time for comedy. So eventually I will definitely do more of it. But for now, I'd rather, I'd definitely rather focus on jujitsu. Totally. What's your favorite thing about jujitsu? Um, well, I mean, it, it definitely is very nostalgic for me getting back on the mats because I wrestled from eight years old all the way through the end of high school. Uh, and it feels good to be back on there. It feels good to move like that. It feels good to, uh, it feels good to, it feels good to be a student. It feels really good to be a beginner and a student. Wrestling obviously gives me an advantage when I go to jujitsu because I have that grappling background. But, I mean, it's nothing. It's a very different sport. It's a very, very different sport. And I like that jujitsu is a really interesting combination of being able to put yourself in a situation that is like literally a life or death situation but also being able to find the calm and the peace within that and being able to have to stay as relaxed as you can to solve the, solve the problem, solve the puzzle while also knowing you're fighting to get your, you know, out of a choke, out of an arm bar, out of a, out of a submission attempt. And so it's, it's a really interesting combination of, of uh, fighting for your life while also being calm about it. I like it. So um, as far as fitness professionals go, who are three that you look up to? Say Eric Cressy. Um, I'd say Eric Cressy, and let's see. Eric is number one. I'll say Alan Aragon is number two, and I'll say um, who's the third? I'll say Ryan Fisher as well. I like Ryan Fisher a lot. Nice. So, what stands out to you about those three people? You know. I would say Eric and Alan, very similarly, they're unbelievably relentlessly research driven. Like they are, it's actually, this is a cool sort of mix between emotion and logic, right? Alan and Eric are just very logic, 
like very, very logic. They look at the science. They, I mean, Eric is the only strength and conditioning coach that I know that tries to go in to watch uh, operations on elbows and shoulders. Like he literally will go willingly just to volunteer and look at surgeries just to see like if he can like see and, and learn more about the shoulder and the elbow. I don't know any strength and conditioning coaches who, who even know that's a possibility, never mind actually going and doing it. Um, they, they, for me, I know for a fact that if it were not for their research and their time spent researching, I wouldn't have been able to help as many people because they were able to teach it to me in, in very simplified ways. And then I've been able to take that and simplify it down even further. So they have done a wonderful job in terms of teaching me about research and the science, like the scientific method and both, I would say Eric from the strength and conditioning perspective and Alan from the, from the nutrition perspective. And then Ryan, I respect a lot because he is who he is and he doesn't give a fuck. Like he is who he is and he says what he believes in and he, uh, he like it amazing. If you don't like it, that's amazing. And I, I respect that a lot. So a lot of people that are going to listen to this podcast episode really look up to you. Like you got a big following, you've achieved a lot of big things and people look at that and they think, man, that guy is bulletproof. So to kind of help them out, to help them see perspective, if you can, I want you to think about a time when you felt the most self-conscious in the last five years. Okay. And tell you about that time? Yeah, if you can. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, first, I'll say I'm, I'm definitely not bulletproof. I don't want to test that that hypothesis, but I'm definitely not bulletproof. Um, that I felt the most self-conscious. Okay, yeah. Um, I'll give you an example. So I've been wanting to get much more into public speaking. Um, I love speaking. I love speaking to crowds. I love. I, I just I like social media, and I love doing all that stuff. I love YouTube. I love all of it, but I, I love being in person, speaking to real live people, um, and Several months ago, I went to a gym in Maine to uh, to do one of my speaking events, and it turned out it was a huge success. It was, it was great. It was a lot of fun. I had a blast. But I remember, I remember like outside walking up before I walked in front of the crowd. I was like, I don't think they're gonna like what I have to say. Like it was it, this was literally like maybe three months ago max. And I just I, I was like I don't think that I have anything to offer these people that they're going to enjoy, that they're going to like, like, I just vividly remember being like, this is going to be a huge failure. Like in my head, I was like, ah, this is, this is not going to be good. And it turned out to be great. It was, it was one of the best ones I've ever given. There was a lot of emotion. People loved it. It was a long time. It was great. A lot of those people still reach out to me today. Uh, Several of them have become clients or in a circle members. It was great. But before I did it, I had a sinking feeling in my gut. I was like, there's nothing I'm going to say that these people are going to like. But then I went out and I did it and it was great. And, and I think it, it just goes to show it's like we can all be very self-conscious. We can all have these be our own harshest critics. We can all have these insecurities and fears, but nothing's going to change unless you actually take action and do something. So true. And it's, it's just it's ironic because of like social media and it's actually pointing out like, oh, a thousand people liked this thing. And then you're going to a thing with real life people and you're like, man, I don't think a thousand people are going to like this thing. Like. It's probably less than a thousand people there. And it's crazy how like our brains work. Like we're freaking hard on ourselves. So when you're meeting new people, when you're talking to clients and all these people in the world that are hard on themselves too, what is your best advice for them? Like how, how do you pump people's tires and like give them a boost? 
for is this for for when I'm meeting clients or, or coaches? Like anybody, like pick your favorite. But if it's if it's like humans, clients, somebody in the grocery store, your friend, whatever. How do I give them a boost? I would say, I mean, I think probably one of the best things I've said that has really helped a lot of people is always trying to reframe the conversation and say, well, let me ask you, like, how would you respond if your best friend said that to you? And, and almost immediately, they're like, they would go to their best friend's defense, right? It's like almost because they, I don't know who their best friend is, but they have a picture in their head. And as soon as I say, well, what, what would you tell your best friend if they said that to you? They almost like, you can see like immediately they get defensive. It's like, no, they could do that. It's like, they're fine. Like they're good. But it's like, it's harder when it's yourself. And so I think to sort of frame it in that way, when you, they can literally feel in their heart how quick they are to go to their best friend's defense, but how they weren't like that for their, themselves, they can be like, fuck, I need to be like that for myself. And it sort of puts things in perspective for them. So one of my terms that I use a lot, I call it the TSN turning point. And it's just like a pivotal moment in your career where like everything changes, not for the fact that you didn't put in a whole bunch of work leading up to that, but it was just like the moment where just things clicked. So if you can like reflect on like what you would call your TSN turning point, what would it be? TSN, where everything clicked, man. Um, the, I had a lot. There's a lot of turning points, right? I think, I mean, I know, for example, there was one when I was interning at Eric Cressy's gym when, when uh, Eric told me to go up to the whiteboard on my first day interning at his gym, and he was like, go go write down all the muscles that attach to the scapula. And I was 21 years old, and I was like, fuck. Like, I don't know. So I got nine, and there's 18 of them. And uh, and he came up to me, and, and I was just devastated, and I was like embarrassed. And he was like, how can you know what the body does if you don't know what the body is? And so that was immediately from there, I enrolled in a bunch of gross anatomy courses, and that changed my my career from the perspective of, learning how to understand how the body actually moves and works. Um, then there were other ones as well. I mean, I had nutrition ones. I, ha I mean, I, the first time I did, I really started to understand calorie deficit nutrition was when I was 18, I hired Martin Birkin from leangains.com. I hired him when, when he was charging like 300 bucks for 12 weeks, which is just a, a fraction of what he does at this point. But I actually believe I'm on his homepage of his website, my success story when I was a teenager. Um, but I had, seen everything in intermittent fasting and I like keto and all this other stuff, but it, nothing actually clicked until I actually did it. And like doing that 12 week program and being in a calorie deficit was a huge turning point for me, um, for not just calorie deficit, but also for consistency, just consistently consistency of doing something. And then I have another one for, for social media. I remember hearing Gary always say, attention is the asset. Attention is the asset, but I never got what it meant until I really started to get attention. I didn't understand what he actually meant. Like, what does it, what does that mean? And until I actually started to have attention and see the power that comes with it, you can do anything you want with attention. You can use it for good. You can use it for bad. You can use it to help people. You can use it to hurt people. But if you have a message that, that you really desperately want people to hear and understand, because you know, it's going to help them attention, having people's attention is the single most valuable asset in the world. So there's been a lot of turning points. Um, when it comes down to interning at places, cause I know like you've, you've tried to intern at a few places earlier in your career. Uh, was there ever a time when you got turned down from an internship? Yeah. My first ever, the, the first one, when I was 14 years old, I applied to a gym and, 
and they called me in for an interview. It was at this gym called Fitness Together, right down, uh, it was probably like a mile or so away from my house. And um, they called me in for an, for an interview because I, uh, I just reached out. They didn't have an internship. I just asked. And then they were, basically they were like, yeah, no, like our clients don't want a high school kid hanging around. And I was devastated. And I got back to my house and I was like, fuck. They said no. And my mom was like, okay, well, so what's next? And I didn't even think about like the possibility of applying to another one. But then I found another gym that turned out to be the kettlebell gym uh, in a town over from me that uh, took me under their wing and completely changed my life. There, there was an, it, was, it was a blessing that I got turned down and a blessing that my mom encouraged me to apply to a new one because they were that gym changed my life completely. Um, and then the, also, I mean, another one I remember later, I think at, either I think it was after my freshman year in, in college. I remember I, I reached out to Lyle McDonald because I wanted to do an internship with Lyle uh, to see if I could do anything for him just to learn from him. And, and I didn't really know anything about him other than he was a genius. He says, well, there, there's definitely more than just those two denials. But yeah, for sure. I, I was clearly denied for sure. I like that uh, you're able to reflect on that because there's going to be so many times where people like get shot down on something. And then they're like, well, shit, it's over. Like just uh, change gears, do something else because I got shot down. But like half the time, that's like that's what gears you towards like the biggest win in, in like these, these big moments where you actually get a chance to learn something new or like meet somebody you wouldn't have met otherwise. I mean, I remember when I was in college, I'm sure, you know, tnation.com, like tnation was the biggest website when I was a kid, when I was in like high school, it was like all, all the lifters were on the tnation forums. And I just always remember being like, I want to write for them. I want to write for them. I want to have an article published on tnation. And I must have submitted no less than seven to 10 articles before one got actually published. Like, and every time, like, no, this isn't a good fit. 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 And then now, like, they asked me to write articles, like, like all, but it didn't happen like that. It didn't just happen with, like, it happened with submission and submission and submission and submission and denial and denial and denial and denial. And then now, like, they follow me on social media and they repost my stuff pretty frequently. And it's like, that wouldn't have happened if I just like said no after the first one. Like it's it, denial, I think is one of the, it can be one of the most powerful motivators. And if you use it properly, it'll set you up for more success than ever before. It's like, I think failure, failure is one of the greatest parts of success. And, and I think if you allow yourself to keep going after failure, then you allow yourself to succeed far more than other people could ever imagine. It's the issue is that when you fail, then you just decide to quit. That's when, when you end up not really achieving anything at all. So I have a question that I ask all of my guests and it's, if you could give one piece of advice on how to live your life to the fullest in the most authentic way, what would that piece of advice be? I would say, <laughs> don't listen to the short bald guy on the other end of the screen. That's me. Don't listen to me about that because I don't know how to live your life to the fullest. I would say only you know that. Like only you know how to live your life to the fullest. Don't take anyone else's advice for that. It's sort of like people have been asking my thoughts on self-love recently. It's like I don't fucking know. Like 
I, I have my own struggles with self-love. We all, we all have our own struggles in life and with self-love. And the only person who knows what you want to do is you. And the reality is like, it's not easy and you're going to fuck up along the way. But if you really want to live life and the best way for you to live life is you're going to have to go through those fuck ups and be comfortable with it and still continue to learn and move forward. And that's really it. And this is the first time I've ever used that, the bald guy and had to be like, Oh no, it's me, not you. Cause <laughs> we're both on that front. <laughs> so uh, awesome. I was like, fuck, I have to clarify that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, Hey, wait a second, but no, I get it. <laughs> so it's been an awesome episode and I just wanted to make sure I was respecting your time, but thank you so much for joining me today. I know you had a lot that you had to do, but you made time and it was awesome. Yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a blast. Yeah. So this will be up later today. And uh, yeah, um, thanks. <laughs> of course, man. I love it. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. You bet. See ya. Have a good one, man. You too. And that is all she wrote. So thank you for listening to this episode. I know the audio was a little glitchy. I found that uh, when Windows updates, it doesn't really allow the drivers for uh, microphones to work very well. So I have a backup microphone that I used for that episode. So I'm going to get that figured out before the next one, which will be Monday. It's going to be another uh, well-known guest in CrossFit. So if that intrigues you, be on the lookout. If it doesn't intrigue you, he's got a lot to offer to just about anybody in any facet, whether it be fitness or non-fitness. Um, his name is Carl Pauli, if you know who that is. So I'm really looking forward to it. After that, we'll be trying to uh, get a few more Edmonton people on and go from there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. Have a good day. See ya.